All right, everyone. Welcome in to the brand new episode here. Episode 21 of the Instant Review Podcast. Can you believe it? Episode 21. We've been at this for nearly half a year. And we only have one football game, at least one true football game left in this year's NFL season. The first seven, 18-week season. And uh, we have our two final teams as the Cincinnati Bengals and the Los Angeles Rams will be meeting next Sunday in Super Bowl 56. My name is Nick Hill, joined as always by Leon Terrion, Connor Kennedy, and Oscar Orango. And Mr. Frank Gustavo says, hey, guys, how did you react to that championship Sunday uh, full of drama as the rest of the season has been? I was on the edge of my seat for both games, honestly. They were, they were like, both pretty close. Um, and it's great to see Matt Stafford, OBJ, and Sean McVay going to the Super Bowl. And on the other hand, the Bengals going to their first Super Bowl since the late 80s. Oh, yeah. For 33 years for the Cincinnati Bengals. And of course, the Rams, they were there three years ago. Uh, of course, they lost to the Patriots in that game. Is it a chance for redemption? Of course, the Matt, which is sort of that one, Matthew Stafford his first ever Super Bowl appearance. But we're definitely going to get into these games here. So we're going to first discuss the Bengals and the Chiefs. And, of course, this was an insane uh, game. So the Kansas City Chiefs got off to an amazing start. They got off to a 21-3 lead start. Patrick Mahomes was dealing dimes all over the field. And it looked like the Chiefs were going to be unstoppable. They were going to run away to their third consecutive AFC championship and Super Bowl appearance. But then the Bengals woke up. They got a touchdown right before half, 21-10. And to me, at least, the pivotal play in this game, right before halftime, uh, Eli Apple tackled Tyree Kill short of the goal line as the Chiefs elected not to settle for a field goal to get to a 24-10 lead. But uh, instead, they went for the touchdown, tried to make it 28-10. Didn't work out, so it was 21-10 ahead in the halftime. And then Patrick Mahomes... Truly, for the first time, in my opinion, had his worst playoff game. Really had, had some really questionable turnovers. And it allowed the Bengals to creep back into the game. It was tied heading into the fourth quarter, 21-all. Which, from there, Evan McPherson hit two field goals into putting the game, 27-24. Uh, the Chiefs had a first and goal from the five-yard line. Uh, with a minute and a half left, they could have scored a touchdown to win the game. But instead, the Bengals' defense um, stopped them again at the goal line, forced them to sell for a field goal as time expired, head to OT. And even though the Chiefs won overtime, the coin toss again. Uh, Patrick Mahomes this time threw an interception to Von Bell, and the Bengals then were able to get down the field and set up Evan McPherson for the game-winning field goal. Um, I'll tell you, when I was was actually driving home at the end of this game and just listening to it on the radio – when they won the game, I'm just like, you've got to be freaking kidding me. The Cincinnati Bengals just did not make the Super Bowl. Because I, I don't know if you're also in shock. I'm still in shock. I cannot believe we live in a world where the Cincinnati Bengals are AFC champions and are going to the Super Bowl. Absolutely. I mean, like, even at the beginning of the season, I thought the Bengals were kind of like a, a six and 
six or seven win team at best in like the seven wins I was being generous with there, but you know, they end up going 10 and seven winning the AFC North in a division where I thought like either the Browns or the Ravens were going to win it. And of course the Steelers were still a competitive team. Uh, and you know, they, they just go on this absolute run winning their first playoff game in 31 years then winning the divisional round, going to Tennessee, beating the one seed and then going into Arrowhead and being the Kansas city chiefs, a feat that, only the Patriots have done since Patrick Mahomes has been the starter in KC. It, absolutely unprecedented to me, at least. Um, and it's it's great to see, especially as as a Bills fan. You know, we're we're both kind of snake bitten franchises. Not a whole ton of uh, playoff success. And the two seasons before that, they went two and fourteen, and four eleven and one, absolute bottom feeders. And then they just go on this crazy run and I'm, I'm just so happy for the people of Cincinnati and that Bengals front office coaching staff and just that whole team in general I think if you asked me in the beginning of the season if we would see these two teams in the Super Bowl I'd be like no way this would never be a matchup <laughs> mm-hmm. and then we talked about it last week uh, Connor I know you agreed with me I think we all wanted to really see the Rams and the Bengals in the Super Bowl because you have two quarterbacks who are really gunslingers and they could let it they could throw the ball 60, 70 yards down the field and change the game in maybe 30 seconds. It's unbelievable. But uh, nice job by the Bengals. I really like uh, Jesse Bates, what he did for the defense. The guy's been amazing in the game against Tennessee. He was amazing against Kansas City. And it's exciting for the Super Bowl. Even Eric Weddle, who came back from a retirement in all-pro safety for the then San Diego Chargers, he could get his And uh, he got his first uh, Super Bowl ring this year. At, I think he's 37 years old. So it's uh, just an amazing run for him, too. And I add one more thing before Nick and Oscar get to their points about this Bengals-Chiefs game. Um, one really important – a couple of really important front office moves uh, that I think really propelled them to the Super Bowl run. Number one, going all out on free agency, signing Trey Hendrickson – you know, it, it was really important for them to get an elite pass rusher on their defense. And, you know, like they say, defense wins championships, and that definitely showed on Sunday. And one other thing, they listened to their franchise quarterback and drafted his buddy Jamar Chase with the fifth overall pick. A lot of people were critiquing it because they thought O-line was a really big need for the Bengals. It still somewhat is, but, geez, very few defenses have been able to stifle Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow's connection. And that's been really important for this Bengals squad. Yeah. On many occasions, I've started, I've started comparing it to Rice and Montana. I, I'm really starting to believe this is the next Montana and Rice type connection. Like these two, I mean, going back to the equities, we've talked about it. They played together at LSU. They were phenomenal there. I think Chase had like 20 touchdowns that year. Uh, they won a national title in Baton Rouge. Um, those two are just special together. And I can't think of a quarterback where he's recording it connection that have that previous connection in college and have brought it to the nfl have just been absolutely dominant um is there any stop in these two because i think they're gonna be running the league for a while at least as the connection i think the matchup for the super bowl is really nice though jamar chase versus jalen ramsey and to see how that's going to transpire will ramsey give up a late touchdown like he did to mike evans in the divisional round or will he be able to lock him down so we're gonna see from there and then you also have t higgins tyler boyd cj uzama joe mixon 
the key players are fine. I'm just more concerned about the O-line, how they will hold up against the Rams and specific parts of the defenses. Because they run, if you saw in the pre, uh, the visual in the first or second defensive snap, wherever it was, they run mainly a 4-2-5 defense. And I'm wondering if they really need to get stronger at linebacker because the the D-line looks solid, the secondary looks solid, but maybe they need an upgrade at the linebacker position. That's how I feel. Yeah, definitely linebacker and O-line are probably the two biggest needs for this Bengals squad. Um, and I, I trust that they'll address that, um, you know, within the draft and free agency. Of course, they, they, are, they already have a really great team. Um, so just a couple of holes honestly isn't too concerning for me going into this Super Bowl matchup. But just to touch back onto that Jamar Chase point, I think they're really going to need to double team Jamar Chase because there's no way, even with Jalen Ramsey being an elite corner, that that one-on-one matchup would work out. I, I think Jamar Chase just, you know, burns anyone that they try to match up with him easy. Yeah, and what's really been interesting with Jamar Chase is he's not just a guy you send down the field and throw down the field. You can send him um, uh, – you can send him uh, – you know, as like on a screen, on short routes, and he'll break it wide open. Like you know, that's how he had a huge play against the Titans two weeks ago. It's he is so versatile that he is literally dangerous anytime he gets the ball in his hands. So even double teaming, I don't think it's going to necessarily work out. And let's get Oscar in on this conversation. Uh, of course, he's been having some connection issues. Um, so basically, we're just giving our like initial thought, our thoughts about the Bengals and just what this accomplishment means. Uh, to make the Super Bowl. Oh, I mean, I think it's awesome. I think it's cool for the franchise. I think we all know historically the Bengals haven't been to the Super Bowl in a long time. Um, but I think it's also cool the way they made it, the team that they have, the core of their offense that has done it, how inexperienced they are and how they stepped up for, like, this. This Like, we didn't expect the, the Bengals to make it this far. Um, in September, Jamar Chase is saying he can't even see the ball coming off the quarterback's hands. Like, it was – they really like kept expectations low and then definitely like delivered higher. And like we said the last couple of weeks, they're playing with house money right now. Uh, Bengals look a lot better than uh, than a lot of people expected them. That like you guys mentioned the Jamar Chase, Joe Burrow like connections, freaking awesome. Um, but he has other tools, kind of like what Leon said. They've got weapons, um, so they have definitely set themselves up to try to be a competitive team for years to. To go and they look like this is what it looks like when you rebuild and you actually like execute and your pieces that you've invested in actually work out and develop and you can keep them and you can you you have them on rookie contracts and you go for a, a, a like a lot of playoff runs you get some success for a couple of years um, so yeah really impressed with what's going on and I'm impressed to see what how they how they face the Rams which is going to be a veteran team you know when you think about it all these a lot of these guys maybe they haven't been. No, actually, yeah, Sean McVay's been to the playoffs. They've been deep into the playoffs with a lot of these players. There's going to be a lot of, hey, we've been here before, and we'll see how the Bengals step up to the situation when it's obvious a lot of them haven't been there before. Yeah, and that's one thing I definitely want to talk about in the next episode is uh, Sean McVay versus Zach Taylor. And that's really another interesting fact. Because, you know, Zach Taylor, everyone thought he was going to get fired last year. Like, he was not doing well at all. In Cincinnati, he, I think, had won, like, what, six, seven games in at his first two seasons yeah so up until this year he had won six games he was six 
and 25 and 1, 625 and 1. And now he is an AFC championship coach. Um, you know, because I look at other coaches like, uh, for example, a David Coley down in Houston. Even though his team didn't, you know, technically have a great record at 4 and 13, I thought that team was playing really hard. I thought they uh, were fighting. And I think sometimes NFL teams, they only look at the win loss record when they're making decisions. And, you know, even though a lot of us were thinking, okay, Zach Taylor clearly not doing an amazing job of getting wins, maybe the entire time the culture inside the building was really good. Maybe he that it took needed he needed this long to turn around the culture to make the Super Bowl run. So I wonder if you if the story of Zach Taylor maybe will you know, encourage other teams to be patient with their coaches and not cut bail when things are going well, because, you know, you need time to rebuild. You know, I think about a guy like Dan Campbell up in Detroit, who obviously is going to get a second year. And even though his team wasn't great this year, they obviously played hard. And I, I do think that um, they need to give him some time to get his team because, Hey, if he gets his team, maybe the Detroit Lions one day can do what the Cincinnati Bengals just did. Because I mean, that would probably be one of the few teams that'd be more shocking to be in this situation. Uh, your thoughts on like on Zach Taylor and what he's done. Yeah, he's absolutely rallied this team and been a driving force into their Super Bowl run. I mean, honestly, I, I know we talk about preseason expectations for the Broncos or sorry, not Broncos, Bengals a little bit. Uh, but I, I honestly thought that coming into this season, Zach Taylor was on the hot seat. Um from an outsider perspective, I, I didn't really understand the hire, considering that he was just a QB coach on the Rams and he wasn't like an offensive coordinator in the NFL before or anything. I thought it was uh, a little early for a guy like Zach Taylor to um, be given a head coaching opportunity. Um, and some of the results of that showed within the first couple of seasons. But honestly, like he's he's really gotten it together and coached up these guys um, in order to, you know, defy all the odds and be the AFC champions. Um, I mean, especially considering how, how we think of Marvin Lewis, like I, I thought he was a pretty good coach, but the thing is like the results didn't really show too much, at least in terms of postseason success. So in his third year, being able to go to the Super Bowl, that's, that's just wild. Give this man a multi-year extension for like <laughs> the next three decades, man. That's awesome he's, to see. He's also under 40 years old. Him and McVeigh, they're both under 40, year, 40 years old in this matchup. And I do like this trend of younger coaches getting higher positions in the league. I, th I think it's something new. Yeah. And I think you have to experiment to find success in the league. I mean, even, even Joe Judge, I think he was 38 when he got hired. But that obviously didn't work out. But, I mean, uh, Mike Vrabel, he's only like 40. He is 46, so he's he's also a pretty young coach as well. I think Mike Tomlin was 34 when he got hired because he's – I think he's 49 now. He got hired in 2007. Yeah, I think he's 49. or He was either 33 or 34 when he was hired. I'm almost 100% sure. You know, I think that speaks to a common trait that I see in a lot of the more successful teams in the NFL. They're able to adapt to 
new new trends in football, you know, different offensive and defensive strategies and philosophies. Um, and, and we see a lot of the other teams, on the other hand, that aren't having as much success kind of remaining stagnant, you know, like kind of, you know, going like 500 at best because they're kind of stuck in their own ways and aren't trying to bring in new people to kind of, you know, switch up the recipe and, you know, modernize their team to for more success uh, within the new decade. Um, so it, it's awesome to see offensive minds like Zach Taylor and Sean McVay, like being able to go to the Super Bowl and really show that this is their time now. Absolutely. And it really is a good segue, I think, into the Chiefs discussion here. Um, and one fact I did want to throw out there about Joe Burrow, he is the first number one overall pick quarterback to make the Super Bowl in his first two years. So it's just an unbelievable story. And certainly we're going to have a lot more to talk about with Joe Burrow next week. I want to talk about the Chiefs, though, because I, I really think this loss, especially for Patrick Mahomes, is bad. This is a really bad loss for the legacy because, like, the whole idea of potentially him being the goat one day and being a dynasty, I mean, this puts a wrench in it because now you got to come back next year, I think, and win it. Because otherwise, you know, you have one title in five years. You know, you're starting to remind me of a certain quarterback that's worn green and gold for the last decade, you know? And you're just as talented as him, perhaps a little bit more. But uh, if you're, I'm starting to get where they might fall into that same trap. And, and what's crazy is this time, I think it was his fault. I mean, he had multiple really bad turnovers. The offense did not do anything in the second half except for the last drive. And when they had a first and goal, the Chiefs could not do anything. They could not win the game, which is very un-Mahomes-like. I mean, Mahomes up until this game was like tw- had like 24 touchdowns of one interception in non-Super Bowl games. And it just – he fell apart in the second half. I mean, it's not all him. The offensive line didn't really play well. I think the play calling wasn't great. They should have ran the ball more. But I, I fear, you know, that this – especially if the Chiefs constantly fall short. And this also goes back to Andy Reid. I mean, before – three years ago, he was, like, the, known as the biggest choker in the NFL who had constantly really good teams and could never get it done in the postseason. Yes, he's now finally got one. But – you know, people just don't change, right? I mean, this is a classic Andy Reid game. A classic Andy Reid, you, know, you get up by a lot, and then you, you end up blowing the lead. Yeah. And this team is... No, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Yeah, it's... I, I mean, like, like you said, Nick, it's a classic Andy Reid game in terms of, you, you know, how they kind of leaned more on the pass um, than, than the run, you know, with a lead in the second half when they really should have leaned on the run game. I mean, like this is one of the best run games that Andy Reid's had, like probably ever since maybe the early 2010s with the Eagles, you know, with Mike Vick and LaShawn McCoy. I mean, I, I'm not comparing, uh, you, you know, Jared McKinnon and Clyde Edwards Hilaire to LaShawn McCoy at his peak, but they, they're, they're still anchoring this run game pretty well. And you got a QB that can scramble as we saw in the divisional round game. Um, and, and, you know, where they were at in, in that game, where they had a healthy lead, they really should have leaned on that a lot more. Is like, man, that, that kind of choke job, it, it just kind of – this isn't as bad as 
the Atlanta New England Super Bowl. But I th- there is somewhat of a similar similarity in the case that the Falcons had a healthy lead, but they ended up just going pass, pass, pass instead of running the ball and just kicking field goals like they should have done. Um, and, and it was frustrating to see. I think that as well as uh, that that swing pass to Tyreek Hill right before the, the first half ended. Uh, I, I mean, I, I think most of that was on Mahomes, like not really reading the, the situation too well and reading the field efficiently. But, geez, what kind of play was that, man? At least go for more of a slant. I think they had five seconds left, so – and I think it was third down also. So I'm not sure, but I remember we talked about it earlier this season. The Chiefs start off three and four. They were not the same team that they were two seasons ago. I felt that the defense wasn't as strong. I think the offensive line got a huge upgrade. I think they're good players. Hardman and Pringle got better this season, but I haven't really seen much of Demarcus Robinson this, this season. And I think they should go for a wide receiver in the draft or in free agency. I think there's more work to be done and to develop players. And I still think they could get back right into it. I doubted them. I didn't think they were going to make the Super Bowl. And then last week we were talking about the betting lines more. And I did pick Bengals plus seven, but I also thought the Chiefs would win or maybe a blowout by the Chiefs. And uh, there there needs there needs to be some work this offseason to get them back in the position that they were in two seasons ago and last season. Oh, yeah. Like, especially where the Chiefs have been at, like, the past three years. I Like, for, for y'all that were listening, last week I, I started off my, my betting segment um, in terms of talking about that Chiefs-Bengals AFC championship game by just saying, like, you know, the Bengals don't have a chance if we're being honest. And, you know, I was completely wrong. I did not expect that kind of choke job. Um, you know, first, obviously, with, with that last play in the first half and then – just the last couple drives for Mahomes was very uncharacteristic of 15. I mean, like, uh, I think one of the last plays of that second to last drive, he, he was just like scrambling for no real good reason. I mean, I know the Bengals pass rush is pretty good, but it's kind of just like turning around. Like I, I had no clue what he was doing. Um, and then he just like scrambled for a little bit and maybe gained a yard or two. Um, and then, of course, that last drive in OT, just a brutal interception. Man, like like Nick said, this is going to be a big Stan Mahomes legacy. I mean, it, it's still pretty young, still pretty early on in his career. And I, I think that he could resolve all this stuff. I mean, he's probably still the best quarterback in the AFC, if not the league. But, geez, that that, that was just unacceptable honestly yeah especially considering that they would have been the easy favorites in the super bowl i think if if they had gone past this game um you know and if you're gonna catch brady at seven and you're gonna get to him a little bit later yeah you needed this one you need to get to two and um i i don't know if you can get there especially with the quality of quarterback you're gonna deal with burley got deal with allen you're gonna have to deal with herbert and there's other good teams outside of those uh you know, teams with those quarterbacks, it's it's not going to be easy. I think it's going to be hard, a struggle to get to four. I, I think I think four might be the cap for Mahomes in his career, which you know for a lot of people is going to prevent him from ever getting into that goat conversation. Uh, Oscar, uh, thank you, Nick. Uh, actually, um, 
I think the game, in terms of the Chiefs' perspective, it shows us like the old adage, defense travels. And if you don't have a defense, you're not going to have as much success in playoff games. Um, and and we saw this. like the, there, There's times in the Chiefs in, in, when Mahomes had the ball, he couldn't find an open receiver. He couldn't find it. And he had a lot of time within the pocket. Um, and Bengals' defense, their secondary, was able to get those guys unlocked. Um, obviously, Kelsey's had a good game. Uh, you know, Hill had a good game. But it just didn't seem to be enough uh, for them. So, actually – they, they're going to have to figure out actually how, I think, some upgrades on that defense to actually try to get the stop on their opponents. Um, on their way, on their path to the, uh, to, to the championship, we saw them have shootout games consistently. Um, it didn't matter what the defense did because you could just lean on Mahomes. And Mahomes wasn't perfect. He finally met his match. He finally met a defense that could stop him, that made him think, made, made the best of his mistakes, his interceptions. Those changed the game. Three, like, two, was it two interceptions? Yeah. Two interceptions. Yeah, two. You know, those change the game. Those are two possessions that that you you want to have, especially with the caliber of quarterback that you know you have in Mahomes. Um, I think a lot of it, I think playoff, uh, playoff football, playoff sports in general, like a lot of times it's who makes the least amount of mistakes. Those are the teams that win. A lot of times teams that have the most fouls just for giving up those penalty yards. You're going to lose. You're going to lose that game because that's that's – that much more of a handicap that you're giving your opponent. Um, but, yeah, I think if the Chiefs go back to the drawing board, they'll actually probably be surprised, just like you guys said. They'll probably be surprised they got this far to begin with with all the injuries they had this year. Tyreek Hill is your main guy. You need you need another wide receiver. You need a number two to kind of force them to do a double team, and that makes Kelsey that much more dangerous. The running game, obviously, all season was all tattered up and beat up. And um, it was nice to see Derek McKinnon actually get get a lot of playing time and actually be very efficient, very uh, behind him. Even though I'm kind of more of a uh, Dow Robinson guy, but uh, whatever, Clyde's over there. Like he's also been hurt all season, so hopefully he has a much better season next year. We can see what else he can do um, for the Chiefs. Yeah, yeah, I think the thing that I think go ahead. Yeah, I think the thing that would anger me the most for a Chiefs fan: How did my front seven only get one sack? I mean, literally, the, the Bengals' offensive line is the weakest part of this team. Literally, they had just given up nine sacks the week before to Tennessee, and you could only get one. That, to me, is where I would start in the offseason. Like, okay, so we literally went up against one of the worst O-lines. Um, and I'm curious. And they got to Mahomes three times, even though Nick seems to have disappeared. <laughs> From the yeah. Oops, sorry. I don't know what happened. Uh, but... <laughs> Oscar, what's interesting is how you're saying. Also, the Chiefs' defense—they could have wrapped up Mahomes and I wrapped the Bengals' defensive line could have wrapped up Mahomes. What am I saying? Burrow could have been sacked multiple times by that Chiefs' D line, and he just got out of that, and that shouldn't have happened. They should have wrapped up better around him, and I think that came that game would have been a lot more different because th- this this was the one that was more shocking. Yeah, but just to finish with the point I was making, you know, they, they got four sacks the uh, in their first matchup a couple of weeks ago, but they only could get one, and th- that that to me is where you lost the game uh, as well. In addition to the turnovers, because um, I mean I know the Titans got nine last weekend, still not it's still lost because you know once again the Bengals took care of their business, they took care of the football, the Titans did not, and in, in that they had uh, you know free turnovers and then a. Miss Q on fourth down, 
which is basically if any fourth down stop to me is also a turnover. So just, uh, yeah, the Chiefs just didn't play smart ball, and they unfortunately their front seven didn't get the pressure that they needed. So I, I do think that you do have to also reevaluate that in the postseason. So any last comments on uh, this Chiefs-Bengals game? Uh, just a couple more thoughts on this Chiefs defense and the ways that they can improve that, you know, whole squad in general. Um, talking about the D-line, um, Frank Clark, they they acquired him in a trade with the Seahawks after that uh, 2018 uh, season, you know, after that deport offsides game. They realized that they needed a couple more pieces, and so they brought him in. Um, and he was pretty productive. But this season, he's only – gotten about four and a half sacks. Um, and I, I mean, part of that can be attested to, you know, adding Mel- Melvin Ingram to the fold, um, as well as just the defense, just having a downswing uh, within the first half of the season. But, you know, four and a half sacks, especially with the amount of money uh, that that's, you know, on Chris Jones, or not Chris Jones, Frank Clark, uh, I think it's around 27 million uh, for next year. Um, that's too much money for a guy that's only, giving you about four or five sacks. I, I, and I know that QB pressures are, are a bit more important than sacks, but if you can't get home, then, then why are you paying him that much? You know, um, And I think something that's going to be really important for them in free agency is bringing in an elite pass rusher or potentially finding one in the draft. Um, and then, you know, trying to trade away Frank Clark because um, that's just way too much for him. And one other thing that I thought of, considering their secondary, um, what I saw from the past couple of games uh, from the Chiefs, that secondary was absolutely gas. I mean, I know that they were playing for quite some time. Both of those games went into OT, but, you know, Gabe Davis in that divisional round game was absolutely wide open. Jamar Chase caught a touchdown in the last game, and, you know, Joe Burrow was just chucking the ball wherever, honestly. Um, And – Corner is something that they absolutely need to address. Um, and within this next draft, uh, it's probably the deepest at corner. That, that's probably the deepest position within this upcoming draft. So definitely drafting an athletic corner that has a lot of stamina can keep up with the, the new speed of the NFL. That's something that's going to be really important for the Chiefs as they go into this offseason. Indeed. And definitely we'll be covering all the Chiefs offseason moves here on the interview podcast. But we got to move on to what happened in Los Angeles. And of course, it's kind of interesting because both the NFC title game and the Super Bowl will be happening at SoFi Stadium. The first time that's ever happened, actually. Uh, of course, you know, last year, Tampa Bay had to win on the road at Green Bay to get to the Super Bowl. And a couple of years ago, Minnesota had a chance to beat Philadelphia to host the Super Bowl. But Los Angeles and San Francisco played. It was a very tight defensive game. Uh, San Francisco had a 17-7 lead, and once again, a Kyle Shanahan coach team blew a double-digit lead in the fourth quarter and lost uh, 20-17 to the Los Angeles Rams. As Matthew Stafford gets his first ever uh, trip to the Super Bowl. So uh, what do we think really propelled the Rams here to uh, this win over their rivals? Um, they're they're D line. Uh, I mean, me and Oscar were talking about a little bit before the show how they were at how they were able to put on pressure on Jimmy G and this Niners offense. Um, you know, especially within that last drive. You know, they really almost sacked. Actually, no, I think they did sack Jimmy G. 
Uh, he ended up throwing the ball out of desperation, ended up deflecting off the hands of a 49er and into the hands of one of the guys in the Rams secondary, and that ended up clinching the, the win for the for the Rams. Um, and yeah, it's you know like we've been saying these past couple weeks, the the Niners are one of the more scary teams to to face in the postseason. I mean, they got a weapon in Debo Samuel that can catch the ball and run the ball. Also, just an absolute great job by Mike McDaniel's, uh, the the 49ers offensive coordinator, and creating that innovation. Honestly, um, and also one of the best tight ends in the game, George Kittle, not only setting up those blocks but being able to catch passes, um, and that's really helped Jimmy G quite a bit, especially with the addition of tackle Trent Williams to the fold. Um, and they were able to stifle them quite a bit. Um, and that's something that I hadn't really seen the, these past couple weeks in the playoffs. I, I like the point you brought up about Aaron Donald and how during that game, he actually lined up more at the end because Trent Williams's ankle was bothering him. Um, he was questionable for that game. And Aaron Donald, I'm not going to bring up any Super Bowl predictions now, but I think he's set up for a very big game in a couple weeks against the Bengals. Matthew Stafford, he's just unbelievable. It's the perfect place for him, L.A. He could finally have a defense with him while throwing the ball deep, getting touchdowns to Cooper Cup, Odell Beckham, Van Jefferson. I wonder how different it would be with Robert Woods. Would they be even more dominant? So I'm really happy for them, and I'm I'm not going to say any predictions yet, but I pro- they'll probably be the winner in the Super Bowl, in my opinion. Oscar, uh, what are your thoughts on? Uh, how the I think this one? I think I think a little bit of everything. I think, uh, like we said, their defense stepped up. They uh, they stopped the 49ers' offense, which is amazing. All the trick plays that they had, how how like I think what was really hard for the 49ers, I think, was their ground game. They never really got it going. I think the defense really stopped Eli Mitchell and Debo Samuel as as amazing as he was is wasn't as amazing as he can be or he has been in the past. Um, so he definitely shut him down. I think he actually might have stepped out, I think, for a little while. Oh, no. You're just worried about him not being able to play. Um, but, yeah, they just didn't have any weapons. After you, you, you almost neutralized the running game, you were able to neutralize uh, Debo Samuel. Uh, you didn't really see a lot of answers um, beyond maybe Brandon Ayuk. So the 49ers are kind of stumped there. Um, and the Rams, they, I mean, the defense stepped up. We obviously know their offense is spectacular. You got Cooper Cup. You got Odo Beckham having a great, like, revival half season, and now he's going into the playoffs. Um, I think it's been pretty cool. Uh, I think they, uh, every every facet of it. And one good thing also about the Rams that I kind of noticed when they were up against the 49ers, there's a lot of discipline, very low penalties. Um, that kind of gives you really good opportunities to continue to have success, like, have successful drives and also make sure that your opponents play well because their drives are not going to be as successful if you're not giving them any free 10 yards or 15 yards um, or any PIs for that matter. So I think that's good stuff. I think the Rams were were prepared. I think we've always thought that they were aggressive. Their front office was aggressive. I think that's a big, big part of why they've been so successful this year. They've they've had no, uh, no qualms about preparing themselves for this playoffs and expecting to be in the Super Bowl. So big ups to them. 
Yeah, that's something a lot of people don't think about, but they only had two penalties the entire game. So that that's an extremely impressive thing. And really the drives, that first one, the what was it, the 18 play, 97 yard, 10 minute drive. Just uh you you don't you don't see that that often at any uh level of football. And it's just it's beautiful to watch uh every single time it happens. You could tell by the end they had worn down the 49er defense, uh, which is a very, very good defense. And um I, I do think with the Niners with a better quarterback, uh, they might have been the best team in the NFC this year, uh, top to bottom, at least in my opinion. Like they were stacked at most of their position groups, but they lacked at the most important one. And Matthew Stafford, uh, but we saw, we've seen why the Rams traded away Jared Goff because he, the, Stafford really is able to elevate his game. But really, me, to me, the star is Cooper Cup. I, I don't know where y'all thoughts are on this but i'm thinking cooper cup for mvp um i don't know if we'll get it but i think he should and because i know they usually give it to a quarterback but to, to me like just what he's meant to this team the, the impact he's had relative to other wide receivers i mean the only other receiver to me that's been close in terms of their relative impact is jamar chase but even then i, I just i think cup's been on a different level agreed um I'd like to see the award change because we see that MVP is more of a quarterback award and then the offensive player of the year goes more to a running back or a wide receiver. But it's been since Adrian Peterson's 2012-2013 season with the Vikings, and it probably will go to Aaron Rodgers. I think the official MVP awards that come out before the Super Bowl. But I would like to see Cup in there, and I'd like to see uh, the award change a little bit because he's been unbelievable this season. And – there's always this debate that I seem to think about how it really changes for who becomes the best wide receiver in the league because season by season it changes. Calvin Johnson held on to that for some time. Antonio Brown held on to that for some time with the Pittsburgh Steelers, but it really changed because it, it went to Michael Thomas, I think, then DeAndre Hopkins, and I think, and Devontae Adams. But we, I never really thought of somebody who's the overall best wide receiver in the league. And I think as we move forward into these next couple seasons, I think it's going to be either Cup or Chase, and they're going to solidify being the best wide receiver in the league for a couple of years. Even if some players have better stats than them, it's more of like an overall impact because we all think of Mahomes as the overall best guy in the league, even with the past two seasons Rodgers has had success, or Derrick Henry is the best running back in the league. But I like to see somebody cement themselves in that wide receiver position as the best in the league for the next couple of years. And I think it's going to be either cup or chase moving forward. Absolutely. Um, honestly, I, I think him and Devo Samuel, uh, well, in Cooper cup, Devo Samuel and Jamar chase are probably the three most important offensive weapons in the entire league. Um, and I'm just looking at Cooper cup stats uh, for the 2021 season right now. Um, Number one in terms of uh, total receiving yards ever um, is Calvin Johnson his season in 2012. Uh, his quarterback, coincidentally, was Matthew Stafford, um, and he leads with 1,964 yards. Um, Cooper Cup's got him beat in receptions, and he's got 11 more touchdowns than he did. Um, but he, he's just like 17 yards short. Um I mean, Cooper Cup was good before then. You know, he really helped Jared Goff look like an above-average starting NFL quarterback. But 
this connection between Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup cannot be understated. Um, you know, whatever defense you match him up with, you know, he's, he's going to overcome no matter what. And there's very few games this season where he hasn't gotten over 100 receiving yards and at least a touchdown. It's like, you know, I, I host the sports betting segment. And it's almost an easy bet to just bet that um, Cooper Cup's going to gain over 100 receiving yards and a receiving touchdown on any given Sunday, you know. Um, and considering the, the level of quarterback play this season, you know, every quarterback has had at least one bad game. Um, whether you talk about Aaron Rodgers um, in Jacksonville playing the New Orleans Saints um, or Tom Brady um, in his couple games playing the Saints. Uh, interesting uh, to see, by the way. Um, and, and then just the, the other would-be candidates as well um, kind of craft themselves <laughs> occasionally, you know. Um, Jonathan Taylor could could have been considerate, considered, but he, his team didn't even make the playoffs. So I think Cooper Cup is absolutely a, a great candidate considering he got almost 2,000 receiving yards in the regular season and 16 touchdowns. Yeah, I mean, and it just it seems like that this award's going to be a, probably going to Aaron Rodgers, as you said, and maybe Tom Brady will get, uh, get it just because he's retiring. But um, I, I just – I think – other positions got to get more love and to me cooper cup deserves to have more love uh, oscar do you, do you have a... uh, i think it'd be good i think i think okay obviously cooper cup had an amazing season but what made his season seem that much more amazing was the kind of like the breakdown of the other people that we expected to be really really good and have great seasons so Kyler Murray was was an early contender. He got knocked out because he was hurt. And then when he finally got back and was healthy, he wasn't as effective as we need him to be. Um, and Rodgers was really effective. I think he's still like a, a top guy for that, as well as Tom Brady. Um, but other other uh, other people who were contenders weren't as it's not it wasn't as competitive. I mean, uh, we were thinking about Josh Allen at one point in the season, but then he kind of got a little sloppy towards the end of the regular season. Luckily, he made it to the playoffs. He did really good. But it's just there was. That perfect breakdown that kept Cooper Cup in the in the spotlight with his success. That was, I mean, obviously, like I said, like it was already it was it was amazing to watch. Um, I think it'd be real cool, kind of like what you guys mentioned with the wide receiver, kind of like making a triple crown thing, just like in baseball. Like you have your guy who has the best hitting average, you have your guy who has the best home run, most home runs, and you have the guy who, uh, uh. Yeah, most hits, most home runs. What's the other one? RBIs. RBIs. There you go. Thank you. So just something like that. Receptions, yards, touchdowns. All those things are amazing stats, and I think they'll be great, um, especially with this new era of football where everything's statistical. You want to be able to show what your numbers worth throughout your career. Um, yeah, I think that'd be cool. I think that'd be a great transition to the game. Absolutely. So I kind of want to transition to the 49ers side of things um, because, you know, I don't think they, unlike the Chiefs, I don't think they have a lot to be ashamed of. I think their team is very well built. They're young. They've got a lot of great pieces moving forward. But the big question is going to be, what are they going to do with the quarterback? Because Jeremy Garoppolo still technically has a year, $25 million left on his deal. But um, a lot of people are thinking they're probably going to move on to Trey Lance, but do, or they might try to bring someone else in. 
Um, what do you think the 49ers should do with their quarterback? Because I think that's the one thing that's keeping them from being Super Bowl champions. Because I think if they had a better QB, this team could win the Super Bowl right now. I think they're already trying to shop him. I saw on a Bleacher Report gridiron, I think they're already listening to trade requests. And I, I know I debated it last week. I was really sticking up for him. San Francisco 49ers fans really love him because I don't think – I feel like leadership can't be measured in stats. And I think what he's been able to do as a winner, even with that defense, I'm not going to put that NFC championship loss on him. I thought if they got the interception with Tart. Uh, with six minutes left in the fourth quarter, they could have sealed the game. But if they are going to move on from here, there are some interesting places. Some people were thinking the Giants. I heard the Colts. Uh, I think Connor brought up before the podcast started Denver. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. He could even go to Detroit. Who really knows? But I think wherever he goes, he's going to bring that leadership. And I think he could help any organization that's struggling to get a couple more wins and a more respectable record. Yeah, uh, I mean, the future of the 49ers, like I was talking about last week, you know, they went all in on trading up to draft Trey Lance. Um, you know, he's been sitting on the bench for a year. Um, he started a couple games um, while Jimmy G was out with injuries. Um, and he's just been warm on the bench waiting for his opportunity. Uh, I, we, we saw some good things um, in terms of what Trey Lance was able to do on the field. He did beat the Texans. Um, so it's good to have an NFL win on your resume uh, before going into your first full season as a starter. Um, but also there, there were, there were some things that concerned me a little bit. Um, I, I think something that was concerning about him going into college, um, of course, he, he didn't throw any interceptions um, whatsoever. I think with his last season at North Dakota state university, which is, you know, impressive in itself. But when you look at the film, um, he was kind of a first read guy, you know, and when his first read wasn't open, he just try and scramble. But the thing is, the NFL is much faster than college football. So I, I think um, one of the games, I think he played the Cardinals. Um, I, there, there was this one clip that I saw of them in like a third and goal situation um, where his first read read wasn't open um so he just tried to scramble but then the defenders were immediately on him um so he he's definitely gonna learn more about how to read an nfl defense and you know go through his progressions and you know be patient while also um you know being able to process things quickly because the the nfl is just the speed is just at a different level than college from what I was saying earlier um, in terms of Jimmy G um, you know, hopefully for their organization, the 49ers are able to trade him for a significant amount of picks. Uh, I mean, it, I don't think it'll be like a blockbuster trade or anything like the, the Stafford to LA uh, kind of trade, but you, you know, hopefully for them, they're able to get more than just a second round pick, which is what they traded to the Patriots in order to acquire Jimmy G in 2017. Um, you know, on, unlike some guys like maybe Sam Darnold, who just had a terrible career with the Jets being traded to the Panthers, um, and also Carson Wentz, who had kind of fallen off since his 2017 MVP campaign um, and has statistically probably the worst season out of any quarterbacks in the 2020 season. Um, well, Jimmy G hasn't 
he, he's not elite by any means, but you know, like Leon said in the past, you know, he he's gotten the 49ers to where they are now. You know, they they went to the NFC Championship this past off or this past season, um, and they went to the Super Bowl with him a couple of years ago, and they were they were a player or two away from winning the whole thing. Um, so I, I think they'll be able to gain some significant uh, draft capital, maybe uh, an extra player or two to, to help them fully build this team. Um, and it'll help them quite a bit in order to try and, you know, continue this success with the new quarterback and Trey Lance and being able to compete for a Super Bowl. Yeah, because Jimmy G is injury prone, and I have criticized them getting a quarterback with the third overall pick because they've had success in the past. Jimmy G was hurt most of the season last season, and most of their lineup actually on offense and defense, and they're able to go seven and nine. So it just goes to show you how good Shanahan of a coach that he really is. But Jimmy G is a solid game manager. He can get you to the playoffs. And like I said, leadership isn't a stat that you can't really measure, but Trey Lance is a very intriguing prospect. And the only way to find out how he's going to do is to have him play. So looks like he's going to be the starter next season. And to be honest, I think he fits the offense better than Jimmy G. It's just that Jimmy G was already that established winner. That's why I think they should have kept him besides the injuries, but Trey Lance fits it better. I wonder how much more flexible they're going to be in the run game. Like, if, imagine just faking an end around to Debo Samuel, and then he takes it for a read option run. Anything could really happen in that offense. And uh, I think I'm very optimistic for next season. I am. Like, one play I want to see. I want to see. So, Trey Lance, that I have him and Debo in the backfield and have Debo basically run a shark wheel. Uh, there's, so, there's so many things you can do with Debo Samuel. With Trey Lance, I think. Um, but obviously, we're just going to wait and see if Trey Lance is going to be ready uh, for it. Because I don't really see the point in bringing in a guy like even like an Aaron Rodgers into San Francisco. Because I just I think the core that you have is really good. And I think the guys there like the guys that they have. I mean, a lot of those players are coming out defending Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, during, like, like Debo Samuel had a tweet saying, Why, leave my quarterback alone, essentially. And uh, I got a feeling they'll do the same thing for Trey Lance because it just seems like the culture there is really good under John Lynch, who, you know, a lot of people question him when he was hired as GM, but I think he's done does a phenomenal job, Um, him and Kyle Shanahan together. But they just they got to figure out how to finish games in the playoffs. And uh, maybe with a different quarterback, they'll be able to uh, down the stretch. But I want hold on. Sorry, Nick. I wonder how different that game would have been with. Raheem Mostert because he's been hurt the past couple seasons and when he gets an open field the guy could run for a touchdown at any moment I I really missed watching him this season yeah um so we'll definitely have of course like the Chiefs all the 49ers news it'll be interesting to see where Jimmy Garoppolo goes I got a feeling that might be one of our big off-season stories uh, for sure wherever he ends up but let's get in to uh, some other big NFL news. And obviously we got to talk about Tom Brady, um, the longtime quarterback, 22 years in the NFL, seven Super Bowl rings, three NFL MVPs. You know, obviously he played for the Patriots for 20 years, won six of his rings there, went to Tampa for the final two, won an additional ring, has more rings than any team does. Um, uh, 
and in virtually everyone's opinion, he is the GOAT. Of course, there are arguments that can be made of why he isn't, but um, I think that's just more on personal playing style um, than anything because, let's be honest, at least to me, I don't think he was the most exciting quarterback ever. Um, that's just not, I don't think he had the best physical tools. I think there are other quarterbacks who had better attributes, but um, you can't ignore winning, and he certainly did a lot of that as a quarterback. So just what are our thoughts on Brady's legacy? Yeah, uh, I mean, speaking as a Bills fan, having to deal with Tom Brady and the Patriots for over 20 years, uh, you know, I have some great memories of watching Tom Brady. Um, some of my favorite ones, uh, you know, the, there's the Patriots-Giants Super Bowl uh, in the 2007 postseason uh, where, where Eli Manning and the Giants ended up uh, ruining the Patriots' perfect season. Uh, and my family ended up actually calling my Boston cousins to just make fun of them for, for that choke. Um, and, of course, uh, also the, the 2012 Super Bowl where the Patriots lost to the Giants. And uh, my, my favorite memory personally – uh, September 25th, 2011, Buffalo's rolling in at 2-0. Uh, the New England Patriots were undefeated as well. They go into Ralph Wilson Stadium in Orchard Park. Brady throws four picks, and the Bills ended up winning 34-31. to And my mom was really happy. But, yeah, um, it, it was really tough to see uh, Tom Brady uh, in our division. You know, obviously he, he won six Super Bowls with the Patriots, just absolutely dominated the AFC East for quite some time. Um, but he, you know, you got to give praise to Tom Brady as much as I was talking trash earlier. I mean, he, he's definitely the most accomplished quarterback of all time for sure. Um, and he holds a lot of records that I don't think will be broken for a long time. He's, he's just somebody that, you know, you look up to 22 years in the league and six-round pick and then becomes the greatest of all time. I don't think anybody will ever break his record of seven rings. And I think I, I like his story. I also like Kurt Warner's story a lot of how I understand that you could be in the right position at the right time, but it's inspiring. If you work hard and you really get after it, you can achieve goals. And the guy was just, just consistent. He was a great leader. After he to 10 Super Bowls once. That's unbelievable. So it is a sad day because uh, where do we go from here? What does Tampa Bay do with their team? Do they draft a new QB? Do they go with Kyle Trask, who they got in the second round, who's not even their second string QB? A lot of questions for Tampa Bay. And uh, like I said, I talked about it before. We saw Philip Rivers leave, Drew Brees leave, Ben Roethlisberger leave. Tom Brady leaves, that's big. And then pretty much a lot of our childhood is going to go away once Aaron Rodgers leaves. And then Ryan Fitzpatrick, of course, who I hope plays next season. So, thank you, Tom Brady. Yeah, I think Tom Brady, actually, yeah, he might be, he is the one of the greatest of all time, uh, if not the greatest of all time. A lot of it is really cool, and it's, it shows in, like, what, how we talk about him, that also his losses with our respective, like, fan base teams are also big, big storylines, you know, on their own. Like, the Giants, when the Giants beat the Patriots at Super Bowl, like, that was a like will always be a, be a famous loss for for the Patriots and for Tom Brady. Um, 
and and our those fans of those teams relish those things just as much as the the Patriots agonized over those types of losses, um, and they're historical within the context of the NFL. So definitely, this is a guy who left his mark. This is a guy who made a big impact, uh, changed the game in his own way. Him and Coach Belichick, and then when he came to the Bucks, he showed that he still, he could could be a little bit independent and could come out of the shadow of Belichick and build his own legacy outside of it. I mean, at the same time, it's a little bit <clears throat> later in his career, and he tried to like repeat it. He somehow he got the front office into the, into that idea of like, hey, let's let's bring everybody back to try to do it again. Um, it just didn't work out this year because always can't predict the future you can't predict injuries uh and it just didn't work out that way but definitely this guy he knew how to make whatever system he was in with belichick it worked for him and he was able to recreate that so that takes that takes a lot of work and a lot of things have to work really well within a football team for you to have that kind of success yeah i think you've all made fantastic points on him and just you know, being able to win a Super Bowl outside of New England, I think, just demonstrates that he truly was a central piece of his titles. You know, again, you know, a lot of the time he was getting carried by great defenses and had great talent around him, and always had great coaching. But at the end of the day, you got to go out and perform. You got to be able to do what you need to do when the time comes. And he was, you know, was able to come back from a twenty-eight free deficit. You know, help lead his team to that. He was able to. Um, no outlast Russell Wilson in that game against Seattle. He was able to outlast Patrick Mahomes. Of course, got you know the fortune at the coin toss, and of course D four was offside and all that. But still, he had to throw the final touchdown, and he did. And as much as any of us can hate him, and trust me, I'm I'm no fan of him. I've criticized him severely over the years. Um, he he, uh, I doubt we'll ever see another QB get seven rings. And play for as long as he has. He still probably could have played if he really wanted to, but I, I do think that um, he has to. I think he wants to prioritize his family moving forward, and you know he wants to prioritize his health because you know, he's getting up there. One bad hit could really ruin you, and you got to really want it. And I just, especially with the way it's getting longer, the increasing competition, it, I do think this is a good time for him to step away and enjoy retirement. And I'd be curious to see what he does. You know, does he go into coaching? Does he want to eventually go to TV one day? Or is he going to kind of just kind of stay out of the limelight? I, you know, obviously he's got Giselle. Now she's incredibly famous. And I, I think they'll be up to some stuff eventually. But exactly what, I'm not sure. But uh, it'll, it'll be weird not seeing number 12 out there anywhere. And uh, I know we got to wait five years for him to go to Canton. But... Um, they really should waive that and just let him go in this year. But uh, certainly that'll be a widely watched uh, Hall of Fame speech whenever that occurs. Uh, but um, anyway, let's go into something not as pleasant to talk about. Uh, Brian Flores, of course, former Miami Dolphins head coach. He recently got fired after two straight winning seasons. And uh, the reason behind that might be even more nefarious than we thought. Because you know, we all really questioned why in the world would Miami fire Brian Flores? And apparently the given reason was um, management didn't agree with Brian Flores. But according to Flores, he has filed a lawsuit. It might add with the same lawyers that were able to go after Harvey Weinstein. So, you know, these are not just your run-of-the-mill lawyers. These are some of the top lawyers in the country. Um, 
And he is suing the Giants, the Broncos, and the Dolphins. And so essentially what he's a legend for each team. So for the Dolphins, we'll start off there. While he was in Miami, and these are all allegations according to the lawsuit. I'm not saying any of this happened. This is just allegations. According to the lawsuit, Flores alleges that in 2019, during his first year as head coach, that owner Stephen Ross wanted to pay him $100,000 for each loss because Ross wanted the Dolphins to tank. And if you remember, at the end of that year, they were horrible. I think they lost to the Patriots like 59 to 10 at week one, or was that the Ravens? So one of those two teams, like they were getting run out of the stadium. But that team got a lot better throughout the year. And they finished 5-11. and 11. They upset the Patriots in Week 17. And the owner was not happy that they were picking 5th overall. Because they lost a chance at maybe getting like a Joe Burrow. So they ended up getting like to attack the Viola. But what happened in that next offseason, the off winter 2020, is Stephen Ross invites Brian Flores on his yacht. And apparently he wants him to tamper by talking to other quarterbacks. Apparently that is illegal, according to NFL rules. Um, and it said that a quarterback was coming to onto the yacht, and um, Flores didn't stick around. He didn't want to be a part of that. So apparently after that, the relationship was strained, and that's why he ended up eventually getting fired after two, losing, two winning seasons. So, of course, he gets fired. He's now looking around for other coaching jobs. Today, in fact, he was supposed to talk to the New Orleans Saints. But this is where the Broncos and Giants come in. So, apparently he was going up on last Thursday to talk to the Giants. However, none other than Bill Belichick text Brian Flores saying that uh, 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 saying that, uh, yeah, you've gotten the Giants job. Congratulations. And Brian Flores is, like, is really, really confused. I'm trying to pull up the text here. I'm going to read it here because it, it's insane. The uh, the timeline here, because you you really have to hear it to believe it. And uh, let's see. Okay, so, so okay, so Bill Belichick asked, "Sounds like you have landed." Congrats. Uh, Flores responds, "Did you hear something I didn't hear?" Belichick asks, "Giants?" Uh, question mark. Uh, Floor says, I interview on Thursday. I think I have a shot at it. Belichick responds, got it. I hear from Buffalo and the Giants, so you are their guy. Hope it works out if you want to. If you wanted to. Floor says, I definitely want, uh, that's what I definitely want. I hope you're the right coach. You're right, coach. Thank you. Coach, are you talking to Brian Flores or Brian DeBall? Just making sure. And then um, Belichick responds, sorry, I effed this up. I double-checked and misread the text. I think they're naming the ball. I'm sorry about that, BB. And Flores responds, thanks, Bill. So he goes up to an interview where he knows he has no chance of getting the job, and the Giants are simply using him to fill the Art Rooney rule, which is basically that each team has to fulfill, has to interview one minority coach for each position that comes up. And apparently the same thing happened to him with the Denver Broncos, where John Elway showed up disheveled and was apparently hung over for his interview and apparently was not very serious. And the lawsuit alleges multiple examples of racial discrimination, how there's only one current NFL black head coach. There's no NFL uh, owners who are African-American. There's only four. 
African-American offensive coordinators, 11 African-American defensive coordinators. And just despite 70% of the players being African-American and sites examples like Jim Codwell from the Lions, uh, he was nine and seven the year that he got fired. Uh, Steve Wilkes only got one year uh, in Arizona, three and 13, got fired. Goes got Josh Rosen. That was a bad team. Cliff Carpenter comes in, only wins five games the next year, still gets to keep his job. Um, you know, David Coley this year, you know, I brought him up earlier. You know, had a really bad team, still was competitive with four wins, didn't keep his job, but Dan Campbell in Detroit keeps his job. So um, there's basically the lawsuits alleged that the NFL is preventing African Americans and other minorities from assessing these positions of power. Um, it will be interesting to see how the court handles this, what they're actually able to do, and forcing the NFL to potentially change their hiring practices. There was a list of demands that are definitely complex. but um, And obviously, this is a very uh, you know, uh, complex subject. So um, just what are our general thoughts about this? Because obviously, uh, Flores came out with a statement saying, I feel like I'm risking you know, what I love because he loves to coach, but um, he feels like that this could potentially prevent him from ever coaching again. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's a lot to unpack here. Um, the NFL and the Broncos have um, refuted uh, some of the claims that Flores alleges uh, within that suit. But um, just, just to talk first about the Rooney rule, um, I mean, on paper, it sounds like a, a really nice idea. I mean, bringing in, you know, different voices, uh, of, like different ethnic backgrounds, um, into the NFL is, is a great idea. Um, and every, you know, organization should be interviewing people that aren't just white guys, you know, for their head coach or general manager openings. Um, and, and just for their front office and coaching staff openings in general. Um, but as like this suit says, um, you know, in practice, um, it just kind of seems more like a requirement, um, for, for these organizations to fulfill um, than any or, than any interview opportunity um, where they're legitimately given a fair shot. Um, you, you know, it's, it's kind of just wasting these candidates' times um, and they're kind of just being used um, to, to me um, as kind of a performative form of, uh, you know, acting like they actually care about, you know, ethnic diversity within the NFL. Um, and, and, you know, that a perfect example is it, of this is how there's only one black head coach in the NFL. The other 31 are just white dudes. Um, and the, the other kind of uh, the, the firings um, of a couple black head coaches, uh, David Coley, he really was not given a fair shot. He went four and 12 one of the worst rosters in the NFL who was able to transform Davis Mills from a, a third round pick who was looked at as a developmental backup type guy into one of, if not the best rookie quarterback um, in his draft class. Um, and he was just kicked to the curb after one season, which was completely unfair to me. Um, and of course, Jim Caldwell, like Nick mentioned, I mean, he, he rallies the Indianapolis Colts in his first season as head coach to go 14 and two and ended up going to the Super Bowl. And they ended up having like similar success the, the next year. They go to the playoffs. Um, but then he has one bad two and 14 campaign. 
which is justifiable considering that, you know, Peyton Manning was out and they, they couldn't really bring in any viable, like good quarterback options. I mean, they were starting Curtis Painter for most of the games. Um, and then he gets fired after one bad season. Um, and then of course he goes to the Detroit lions um, who <laughs> rarely ever had a winning culture, uh, you know, post Super Bowl era, post the 1950s. Um, and he, he ends up leaving with a winning record with them um, and is fired after a nine and seven season. Um, and as we all know, they haven't gone through a season with more than six wins since Jim Caldwell was fired. Um, and, you know, Jim is a great leader. You know, he doesn't get too high, doesn't get too low. He, he really rallied his teams to be the best that they could possibly be. And to him to not have a head coaching position in the NFL is really puzzling to me. Um, and of course, uh, Brian Flores, um, you know, who is suing the NFL, he was a great coach. He led a, one of the worst rosters ever in the NFL to five wins, and they beat the Patriots too. Um, and then the last couple seasons, he's brought them to 10 win and nine win seasons, respectively. The first back to back winning seasons the Dolphins have experienced since the early 2000s. Um, you know, his defenses were great, and Tua was developing into a, a starting caliber quarterback in the NFL. Um, you know, and then he just gets kicked out because of, um, you know, collaborative differences or, or whatever. Um, and, and then just all of these reports that were coming out about Flores uh, the, the week or so after he was fired, you know, kind of dogging on him, saying that, you know, he, he wasn't like a, a team guy and whatnot and just lying on his name. Um, it, it was disgusting to see all of those kind of things. Cause I, I think any team would be lucky to have Brian Flores as a head coach. Um, and it really speaks to how the NFL kind of, um, in, in terms of, you know, addressing the diversifying uh, the league, they, they haven't done a great job. I mean, obviously, they, they blacklisted Colin Kaepernick. Um, and then kind of the save face after the whole George Floyd thing. Um, sorry if I'm going on too long. Uh, I'll try to wrap this up. But they they end up just, like, drawing end racism on the fields, you know, and just Roger Goodell give, give some, like, little statement that doesn't really do much. Like, you know, the NFL's really got to look deep and, you know, change a lot of their, their policies and the way that their organizations and, and the, the entire league in general runs going forward, um, especially considering how the, the owners of all these teams, uh, you, you know, their voices reign supreme, even over Roger Goodell. Um, and a lot of them don't really care about any of this stuff. I mean, there, there's only two, there, there's like two Asian people that, uh, run or own NFL teams and the others are all just white dudes. Um, and I don't think most of them could really, they, they haven't really done all that much to address diversity within the league in a positive and constructive way. Um, so, so bringing in some extra voices in order to try to solve this would be pertinent for the NFL. But I, I, I really credit Brian Flores to, you know, bring all this stuff to light that we kind of thought it was happening in the background, but didn't really see until this uh, moment. 
um, at, at least most of the general public. Um, you know, and hopefully, no matter what happens, this brings like serious and permanent change to the NFL in terms of how they address these things. Nick, weren't uh, the Giants supposed to interview Flores in three days, I'm thinking? They were supposed to interview him last week, but apparently by the time they were interviewing him, at least according to the lawsuit, um, they had already made up their mind, just kind of went through it to satisfy the Rooney rule. So they basically just took Brian DeBall and didn't really interview him at all. That, that's what it's being alleged. Because here's the thing. I'd want Brian Flores to be the head coach of my team. The guy was a winner in Miami, and he's a New York guy. He's from here, and it's home for him. So imagine how much he could have helped the Giants develop into a better team. To hit him being fired was the biggest shock, biggest shocker of a coaching move. Because he de- he helped develop to uh, he helped whenever I went to the Miami Dolphins versus the New York Giants game, the the Dolphins they were incredible in that game defensively. Uh, Tua looked good and the whole team rallied around him. It looked like everything was working in the locker room. And after his firing, even I would want him to come to the Giants. He's successful wherever he goes, and he could have really helped out over uh, a lot of the issues that we were dealing with because the Giants just had. A terrible season overall. Oscar, did you uh, what? Did you have a comment on this? Yeah, I did. Uh, I think a little bit. Unfortunately, it's it's part of the like uh, pro sports in general, or just anything anything where money is involved has a dark side. And there's very there's there's mechanisms that aren't always like open to the public. Uh, Sometimes teams post jobs and they already have their inside hires or they had their their outside hires already lined up. Um, head coaches come into a team and they they bring in their guys. They bring in their guys from old teams. GMs do that. They they change teams. They bring in their guys because that's it's already been understood. Like the the mood is hey to the winner go the spoils. You know we're here now. That's how we do things. We're cleaning house. You know that's that's always what you hear. Um, and and it's kind of just part of the culture of the game. If I want to be successful, I want to have a staff that I trust, you know. And with that line, you can almost do no evil. You can get away with a lot of stuff. Just say, hey, I trust this guy. This is my guy. You know, those are just lines that that you we we've all heard it. It all makes sense to us. It's almost logical. Like, all right, you get the nod. Do what you need to do because I want you to be the best at what you do. And and I think people who go against the grain of that of like, hey, we're gonna win at all costs. Um, sometimes become the cost because you're, you, if you're willing to stand in the way of that, they're going to do what they can to get rid of you. And, and, and some points in the worst cases make you not credible, make you actually look back. Um, and I think this is kind of stuff, this kind of behavior continues until we get more transparency within the league. Um, miraculously, when you know people can see you and people can watch you, you make better decisions, more thought out decisions. And I think that's part of it. I think we know what human resources does in the real world, in the real um, business world. That is slowly creeping into sports, and we're seeing that. There's there's people who are being, I guess for lack of a better word, being canceled for their behavior um, if it's considered inappropriate or not or not professional. And uh, as that comes in, you know, as that as things like that come out and become more public. Uh, changes will come. I kind of commend Brian Flores for like stepping out and and doing this and showing like, hey, look, this is this I've observed in my in my career, in my in my professional career, 
and it's grimy. It sucks for those people who actually do want a job. He's a good coach. He does want a good job. People in general believe he should have, he deserves to still keep the job he was fired from. Um, so he's probably the ideal person to shed light on this. And hopefully it brings some type of change, even if it's not true. Like just the fact that you can bring attention to this and some of it, like maybe the, the how do I say, like the spirit of what he's trying to say and, or the specifics of what he's trying to share is not accurate. But the idea that we understand that this is common practice is what needs to be addressed, you know? Um, so I think, I think if he does get, get to shed some light and actually get to change the processes and have more equal opportunity for people and great because if you are good at what you do if you are good at your job then i think we all understand that you should have that job um it's just a matter of opportunity and availability and those should be the only deciding factors you know as opposed to any other factors that don't necessarily show how good you'll be and can't project your success yeah, it, it just I, unfortunately I, I fear that the NFL is going to respond to this by doing more corporate, um, you know, corporate PR basically, and kind of like what Connor was mentioning after the George Floyd. Just I feel a lot of it feels like, um, you know, we're doing this because we want to seem like we care, but we know that you don't really care, right? Because you care about putting on the product, and obviously we all love and adore the product, but um, we. You have to acknowledge the realities that do exist, that there are barriers to entry in. It's not just in the NFL, but it's in all facets of American life. And just if you look at the Fortune 500 companies and how many of them have minority CEOs and people in higher power, like it, it, it's not just the NFL. And, you know, obviously, I certainly hope that this brings about some change. You know, gives people chances because there are there are black coaches right now that should be head coaches that are not like I think about like Eric B like how come he can't get a coaching job? Like he literally like has helped put on the greatest offense in the league, like the last four years. Why can't he get anything? There's also a coach that was mentioned in the lawsuit. I can't remember his name, but he's coached for 30 years in the league. Hasn't even gotten a crack at a coordinator job. You know, he's been one of the best at his position. Like why is that? It's just, um, it is crazy. And, it's crazy that Brian Flores himself can't get a job right now. Like he can't get his head coaching job. And I'm afraid he's going to get blackballed like Colin Kaepernick did after it's Colin Kaepernick all that time. While he may have not been a starting quality QB, like he should have been on a roster somewhere as at least a backup. Um, the fact that guys um, like Josh McCown were constantly getting called in, but not Colin Kaepernick is just, just insane. So and I'm afraid that's what's going to happen to Brian Flores. And he acknowledges as much as what's going to happen. Of course, the NFL had their own uh, PR stain. And just kind of just looking at some of the hires that are coming through. Like, I think about a guy like, yo, Josh McDaniels. Why is he getting the second shot? This is the guy that screwed over Indianapolis, who screwed over Denver while he was the head coach there. Why is he getting another shot? You know, Nathaniel Hackett. This is really the son of a former coach, Paul Hackett. Um you know, you can kind of claim potentially nepotism there. Of course, Brian DeBall and Matt Eberflus, neither one of them have ever had a head coaching job. Why are they getting their jobs over a guy who's been a really good head coach? Yeah. So it's just, um, yeah, it's, it's a tough situation. And I'm really intrigued to see where this goes. Of course, this will take a while. I mean, these civil cases take a long time. I know they're at the end of the lawsuit, they're asking for a jury trial, which is very rare. 
in civil cases. So I'll be curious to see if the Manhattan court actually grants that and uh, whether this goes to court because most cases just uh, you know end up in settlement. Of course, what the settlement will be, is it going to be purely financial? Is it going to be asking the NFL to change their rules? You know, and also, too, I, I do think some other factors just outside of, uh, uh, you know, obviously the, the, the whole paying $100,000 for losses. Like, you know, I'm curious if any gamblers had inside knowledge on that. Um, that that could actively be insider trading, but just related to gambling. And I'm and that and that also could be very illegal. So I mean, there is a multifaceted things here that there could be, and, I, and I'm sure there's more than what we know right now because they're you have to go for discovery um, throughout this course of this lawsuit. And I'm I'm just very curious to see what comes out here, and I it, it just could be a nuclear bomb for the NFL in terms of public profession. Because we think about it right now, the NFL is the king of American sports. Um, but you know, if you think about it, it hasn't always been like that. You know, at one point MLB did, uh, or was the king of, uh, king of American sports. And they, um, they went for like the 94 strike and steroids and everything that really, I think killed a lot of their fan base. So I'll be curious to see how the NFL handles this. Um, it's going to be interesting to see, especially with Super Bowl week next week. I'm sure that's going to be a topic of discussion on Radio Row. Uh, any last points anyone wants to make on that topic? Uh, I saw that Brian Flores is going to be on uh, one of the CBS morning shows. Uh, I think that'll be from 7 to 9 a.m. Uh, Eastern time tomorrow. So um, it'll be interesting to see what him and his attorneys add to this discussion. And I think one other thing that I noticed in the suit um, that, that was interesting to me is um, the, the way that Flores kind of phrased um, at, at least the suit in terms of Brian Flores and all of those who are affected by these practices uh, versus uh, the NFL and, you, you know, all, all of these franchises. Yeah. So it, it leaves the door open for uh, other coaching candidates um, and, uh, and, you know, other, you know, front office candidates within the NFL who, have been impacted negatively by these practices to join in on this suit with Brian Flores. Yeah. So that's going to be a class action lawsuit, which is very um, interesting. And I'd be curious to see how many of other African-American coaches and executives have been willing to attach themselves to this, you know, whether they're still working or former. Um, it, it is really interesting to, to just think about how many ways to go. And also too, I think what's going to be interesting to see here is the media element of all this. So you know, CBS, you know, obviously major partner of NFL. How is Fox going to cover this? How is NBC, especially considering they have the Super Bowl next week? How are they going to cover this? You know, ESPN, you know, they're, they're finally getting the Super Bowl some this decade, but how are they going to cover this? Uh, I mean, the, the NASA, NFL is one of the few organizations that is connected to every single major media company or corporation in this country. So there's going to be a lot of pressure. I feel like from the NFL to kind of bury this and we'll see how news organizations actually pursue this. Cause I feel like with Kaepernick, there was a lot of, um, cause obviously there's coverage initially, but I think there was pressure to kind of suppress it because of all the negative attention it brought uh, from certain segments of the population. So that's just, there, there's a lot to uncover here and uh, certainly not the fun part of 
talking about the NFL, but it's one we definitely need to keep abreast of. But I'm um, kind of moving on to a kind of a quick segment here. And it's kind of weird kind of moving right into this after that topic. But uh, what do you think of these? Just quick takes on what do you think of some of these hires? So sort of a Brian the ball with the Giants. Just kind of a quick take on your thoughts on this hire. All right. Um, I'll, I'll start with Brian Dable. So as a Bills fan, I've, I've seen what Brian Dable has been able to do with the Bills offense since 2018. Um, I was kind of worried that he was going to be hired as a head coach. Selfishly worried. Um, after last season with how Josh Allen grew from year two to year three. Um, thankfully uh, for us Bills fans, he was able to stay for another year. Um, and, you know, I, I think he's he was a real key component in unlocking the potential in Josh Allen that a, a lot of these guys in the NFL saw in him. Uh, you know, I, I know that he was pretty rough um, coming into the NFL. Um, his accuracy was definitely an issue. Um, but I, I think Brian Dable was able to create an offensive scheme that really suited Josh Allen's strengths and really helped c- to coach him up and develop into an elite NFL quarterback. Um, so this was an absolute slam dunk hire for the Giants, in my opinion. Of course, um, I think Brian Flores would have been you know, a slam dunk hire as well. Uh, you, you know, but I, I think it, it makes sense, especially considering Joe Shane, uh, their their new GM was the assistant general manager in Buffalo uh, for quite some time. So, you know, he has chemistry with the GM already, which is something that Joe judge and Dave Gettleman didn't have. Um, So I I think for the giants moving forward, it's, it's good for their organization to have a, a white, have a general manager and head coach um, that are on the same page with each other, um, you know, and can, bring in guys and coach them up and develop a winning culture that we haven't seen with the giants probably since maybe 2016 or probably even before then. Uh, but what do you think Leon? A big upgrade. I'm interested in how he develops Daniel Jones. Cause I think this is probably going to be Jones's last year as a starter. This is either make it or break it season for him. I've had my criticism of Daniel Jones in the past, but has he really gotten a fair shot? No. Giants fans, we all wanted to get Russell Wilson because he has the potential to really uplift this Giants organization. He's proven himself. He's won a Super Bowl. But we'll see what happens with Jones moving forward. I think I think we're going to find more success this season, actually, with Brian Dable. I think if we could go 8-9, and nine maybe, that would, that would be huge for our organization. If we could get close to that 500 mark, that would be huge. I'm, I'm expecting great things coming in the offseason. But I think you're muted. Yeah, so two comments here from Minecraft Samurai. Um, I can't believe Brady retired. And uh, for Toast, uh, says, loves your work team. And they're asking, where's Oscar? Um, he's just having some internet issues, so he's only audio only for today. But, um, yeah, just my quick take on this. Definitely Brian Dable, you know, obviously he was OC at Alabama before going to the Bills. And his offices have been dynamic wherever he's gone. Um, that obviously though, when you don't have the head coaching experience, you do have to, you know, question, is that going to translate? Cause that's always a question. So it's always going to be a wild card, but I like the fact he's bringing his GM over with him, uh, the assistant GM over from the bills. So he's going to have a familiar person to work with 
And what's interesting is, you know, back to that, Leo, in that lawsuit, there was a kind of a subclause in that lawsuit that talked about apparently how Dable was not enjoying working with Sean McDermott anymore. And he might be able to get some of the assistant coaches to come with them. Um, you know, Connor, I know we were talking about this in our chat earlier. It just how concerning is that aspect of this for you? Um, I, I think somewhat concerning. I, I think over the season, um, I think probably ever since the AFC Championship game that last season, um, I've been having some questions about McDermott. Um, more, more so in terms of some of his coaching decisions, um, such as like punting on fourth and one in the divisional round game uh, the, a couple weeks ago, and then you know some of the other plays, especially with how they kind of awkwardly incorporated the run game. Um, you know, over the, the middle stretch of the season, you, you know, a lot of, you know, running it up the gut on like first and 10 or second and 10. But, you, you know, as, as much as I can say about this um, while being an outsider um, to the, the whole situation, even though I am a Bills fan, um, you, you know, there, there was a bit of tension that I, I saw between McDermott and Dable. Um, I mean, there was an interview, uh, a post-game interview after the the kind of win bowl Patriots game, uh, Monday Night Football, where the Bills obviously lost fourteen to ten, um, and he was asked to kind of evaluate how Brian Dable was doing. Um, and instead of really defending him, he he was just kind of like, "Yeah, we were in the red zone four four times, and we were only able to score once. Uh, we really need to work on that." Um, which isn't exactly a ringing endorsement. Um, and, you, you know, things improved, like, ever since then for the Bills, um, at, at least offensively. Um, so so maybe things resolved themselves. Um, but, it, you know, as much as I can say with this limited information, it's definitely a little concerning. Um, hopefully McDermott ends up becoming uh, like his mentor, in Philly, Andy Reid, but you, you know, with some of his decisions as well as um, what this suit says was going on, um, there, there's a couple red flags to me. Um, and you, you know, hopefully, he's able to grow as a leader and a coach, um, and also um, hopefully his um, offensive philosophy uh, becomes a little more modernized, um, and he's you know, more open to new ideas, but yeah, yeah I'm, a, I'm a little worried, especially with considering that we're bringing in um, an offensive coordinator that's never been a coordinator in the NFL before. I mean, he, he does know Josh Allen quite a bit. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll stop this tangent in a little bit, but, you know, hopefully McDermott um, is able to kind of encourage this offensive coordinator to kind of just let Josh cook. Um, and really work on his strengths as well as the offensive players' strengths, um, you, you know, rather than just running it for the sake of running. Yeah, certainly. Um, obviously, the obviously Giants fans everywhere are hoping that Dable can get the Giants back to the glory days of you know, 10, 15 years ago. Um, Denver, they have decided to move in an offensive direction. They hired Packers offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett, uh, Obviously, the defense has been very good for years in Denver. The offense, though, ever since they lost Peyton Manning, has not been. Do, do we think Hackett's the guy to help turn around that side of the ball 
And, you know, is it really going to be all just more depending on what coach they get? I think uh, this is might be a good move to maybe persuade Aaron Rodgers to come to Denver because it's an offensive mind that he's already worked with in the past. I think this is an upgrade from Vic Fangio, and I think if they can get Aaron Rodgers Denver, like who I predicted that they would get in the offseason, it would be great for them because they have three solid wide receivers, a one-two punch in the backfield, and a young defense that scores points. I think Nick said they were top three in the league in defensive points scored. So we'll see what happens. Uh, They'll probably get a new quarterback, although – I like what Bridgewater did this season before he got hurt late in the season. So what do you think, Connor? Um, It's definitely an interesting hire to me. Um, Of course, uh, within the past three years that he's been in Green Bay, he's had a lot of success. Um, But then then again, you know, he's got one of the most talented quarterbacks to ever play the game in Aaron Rodgers, one of the greatest wide receivers, at least in the league right now, Devontae Adams, Um, some great running backs in A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones pretty good O-line, you know, so it's, it is, it was a pretty cushy situation for Nathaniel Hill Hackett. Um, he was the OC in Buffalo for um, the, the 2013-2014 seasons um, uh, with Doug Marone as his head coach, and he was also in Jacksonville for quite some time. Um, I think starting in 2016 and until 2018 when he was fired, um, his 2017 season was pretty good. You know, he ended up, you know, scheming up something for a guy like Blake Bortles to end up succeeding. I think that season he threw 21 touchdowns and four picks, Um, you know, so considering that that's Blake Bortles who can't even get on an NFL practice squad right now, um, that that's really impressive to me. Um, But you, you, you know, who, who knows what will happen? I mean, I, I think most of his uh, head coaching buzz was because of all of those great players in Green Bay that he got to work with. Um, he didn't have as much success in Jacksonville and Buffalo, but then again, uh, his quarterback, quarterbacks and skill position players weren't as talented as the guys in Green Bay. Um, and who knows how his skill set will translate to the head coaching position. Uh, but not a bad hire by any means to me. And especially considering, oh, sorry. One, one last, just one last point. Um, considering um, the the struggles offensively, um, at least in terms of the pass game that the, the Broncos have gone through ever since Peyton, Peyton Manning uh, ended up retiring after the 2015 season. Um, it, it's, it's definitely good for, for Broncos nation that, there's an offensive mind that that's coming into their organization. Um, you know, hopefully with a new quarterback and, you know, maybe adding a couple more pieces to their offense, they, they can really improve quite a bit. Yeah. I think y'all pretty much hit it on the head. I just, I have my questions. Just how good is he actually considering that, you know, he isn't, well, he may not have Aaron Rodgers. Um, don't probably won't have Devonte Adams, but they do have some good pieces. So I think, you can do some good things with just got to get like a good DC to go with that. And um, his main obstacle is he's in a division with Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert and Derek Carr. Like that's, that's always going to be the main obstacle, at least right now with Denver. Um, 
and you know, that's not going to change anytime soon. So that really got to get the quarterback to compete with those guys. And um, it's, it's going to be a dogfight every single year. I mean, I, I would not want to be the Denver Broncos right now. That, that has to be one of the hardest jobs in the entire league, considering that the rest of the teams in your division are really, really good. And I kind of want to talk about another team in that division real quick. The, uh, the Las Vegas Raiders uh, replacing John Gruden. They got Josh McDaniels. I don't like this hire. I'll just say that, that off top. I think this is a bad mistake. Josh McDaniels wasn't good at Denver. He spurned the Colts for no real reason. Um, and I really do think he's benefited from the Bill Belichick system a ton as an OC. Um, Tom Brady made him. And I think the Raiders, honestly, they should have stuck with Rich Basilia for another year. I thought he did a really good job keeping that team together. They played hard for that guy. And I, 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 just, I think it's a mistake. I think Josh McDaniels, who he's had success with the Patriots in the past with the offense, but if I were him, I'd stay in New England and I would keep Rich Basaccio. The players rallied around him. They loved him this season. Derek Carr, Max Crosby, they had big Twitter posts on uh, how much uh, Rich Basaccio really meant to them. And uh, going through what they went this season, they were able to overcome, have probably the greatest Week 18 game. We never really had a Week 18, but that was the greatest game in the regular season, in my opinion the game that they won and to go into the playoffs and to fight hard against the Cincinnati Bengals. I think if they kept, uh, they should have kept him. I think uh, the locker room really rallied around him and I really wish they could have grown their chemistry with him, but we'll see what happens uh, onto the Derek Carr point. I think he's earned another year with all that he's done as stepping up in, as a leader in the locker room. So we'll see what happens from, from this signing. Yeah. The, the Dosh, Sorry, the Josh McDaniels hiring was a bit of a surprise to me. Um, I, I thought that his gig in New England, his OC, was was pretty good, especially considering, you know, we don't know how long Bill Belichick is going to stay with the Patriots. And I, I felt like, you know, if Josh McDaniels ended up staying for a little while longer and then Bill Belichick retires, I, I felt like McDaniels would have been probably the, the number one candidate for New England to fulfill that head coaching position after Belichick um, at some point retires. Um, but, you, you know, like Nick said, Josh McDaniels was the Denver Broncos head coach, uh, I think in the, the late 2000s. Um, and he didn't do all too well there. Um, and, and then, of course, he spurned the Indianapolis Colts uh, in 2018. Um, from, from what I hear and what I've been seeing, um, I feel like with uh, the, the extra experience that Josh has gotten in his second go around in New England, um, I feel like he probably is a bit better equipped to handle the head coaching position. But at, at the same time, like we've seen this song and dance a bunch of different times before, it, you know, a team wants to emulate the kind of success with, that the Patriots have had the last 20 years. So they bring in a guy from Belichick's coaching staff to be their head coach. Um, and more often than not, it, you know, just blows up in their face. Um, I, you know, I, I disagree with a lot of uh, Mark Davis's decisions and the, the way that he's handled this team. Um, I think a couple big ones were definitely rehiring John Gruden after he was away from the game for quite some time. 
Um, and also bringing in Mike Mayock, who who only was really a, a guy on the NFL network that just talked about college drafting and, you know, different prospects there. Um, they overdrafted a lot of guys that, you know, most of them haven't been all that great. Um, and Gruden wasn't really a great coach. But the thing that we saw with Rich Bisaccia was even though like they went on a skid in the middle of the season, they didn't just completely fall apart. They ended up rallying. Um, Rich was a, a great leader of men and they ended up going, I think, 10 and seven. And they went to the playoffs for the first time uh, since 2016 with, you know, Derek Carr's um, MVP campaign um, where he was a, a definitely candidate for the MVP award. Um, and I, I felt like the culture that Rich Bisacci was building within the Raiders organization and within that team, I, I felt like, you know, going to the playoffs for the first time since 2016, I thought he earned uh, the, the right to continue to be the, the Raiders head coach. Um, but of course they went into a different direction. Um, not my favorite head coaching hire um, by any means, but you know, who knows? I th This could end up going better than Josh McDaniels' first in as a head coach in Denver. Man, it could. I, I don't know. I just have my doubts, so especially once again being in that division. But um, but then again, he does have good talent around him. He has Derek Carr, Darren Waller, Josh Jacobs. As long as they stay healthy, that should be a pretty good offense. Of course, the defense was better this year. But still not great. Like they still have a lot of work they got to do, and uh, and I, even though Mayock was not a great drafter, I thought some of their moves they were making were actually pretty good. So we'll just have to wait and see. Um, my Raiders friends were very uh, confused by the hire, but um, I don't know. Maybe we're all wrong, and McDaniel's will be a fantastic hire. It's not like the Raiders have messed up any hires before. Uh, the last hire to discuss is Matt Eberflus. I was the Colts DC. This one was interesting because the Colts have had a really good defense the past couple of years, but their defense has kind of failed them in key situations. So for the bears, especially considering that they're trying to develop a young rookie quarterback right now and their defense really hasn't been the problem. I don't really understand hiring a defensive coach. I mean, he's not terrible, but I don't know. I don't think this is as sexy of a hire as they should have gone with, to, especially to regalvanize that fan base after the whole Matt Nagy disaster. They, they should have gone with uh, somebody who was maybe an offensive coordinator in the past. I think that Bears defense will be fine and will be fine for years to come because the defense has carried them to the playoffs. The defense has been able to get uh, upsets against other teams, like we saw whenever Nick Foles was a starter over Tom Brady last season one example right there but they should have gone with somebody that's more offensive minded because I thought Justin Fields was the best quarterback in this draft and I thought that whatever team would get him would find success and I think if you get a more offensive minded coach in there I think they could have had more success so we'll see what happens here uh, I'm just very interested in seeing uh, Justin Fields' sophomore campaign um, personally I disagree with the notion that um, the, the Bears should have hired uh, a more offensive-minded coach. I mean, what we saw with Matt Nagy, right, he was the quarterback's coach uh, in Kansas City before he went to the Chicago. Um, and while he didn't have necessarily 100% elite offensive talent to work with, I mean, his O-line was terrible. He only had, like, 
a, a couple of good receivers. Um, and then Mr. Trubisky had his limitations alongside Andy Dalton and Justin Fields being a rookie quarterback. Um, you know, and Nick Foles, uh, being Nick Foles as well. Um, no, no disrespect, obviously. Um, but it, it didn't really work out for them. You know, their, their offense wasn't necessarily as explosive as they, they might've thought bringing in a guy like Matt Nagy, who was an offensive minded coach. Um, you know, look at Buffalo, um, you, you know, Sean McDermott was a defensive mind. But they, they were able to mold Josh Allen into an elite quarterback. And, you know, now they have one of the best offenses in the league. So it, it doesn't necessarily matter too much whether you get an offensive or defensive-minded coach um, as your head coach. Uh, it's just more of who they hire at, um, you know, their coordinator positions. Um, well, do you think – oh. Sorry, Connor, but do you think there's been more of an emphasis – of a focus on the Bears defense in the past couple of years. Cause that's just how I've been thinking. Um, I, I mean, for sure. Like uh, so, some of their, their moves in terms of bringing in personnel, like obviously that blockbuster trade for Khalil Mack um, and the way that Vic Fangio ended up coaching that defense in 2018, which is the reason why he became a head coach after that season. Um, I, I think just in the Bears history in general, I, I mean, probably since like the forties, if we're being honest here, like the defense was really carrying the team. I mean, you think about the 85 bears, uh, the 2006 bears, besides, you know, obviously Devin Hester um, being like an elite kick returner, punt returner. Um, of course, their 2018 run also. And, y- you know, this, this has always been a team that's been more defensive minded and, you know, kind of, didn't consider the quarterback position to be as important as a lot of other franchises thought it was. And even when they, they made moves to, you know, spend a lot of money in free agency or, you know, draft a quarterback high, they, they didn't really help coach them up uh, to, to be successful with that team. And they, they didn't build around them offensively at least. Um, so I, I think it's really just more of an organizational philosophy that they need to change um, rather than just bringing in an offensive guy as their head coach because uh, they've, tr- they've tried that already and it didn't work out. So I, I think it's just more overall within the Bears rather than just one guy. Because I, I think another reason they should go with a more offensive-minded coach, I mean – Allen Robinson will probably not be on the Bears after this season because after the season he had, they, uh, didn't really put up much numbers, uh, really struggled this season. And that's why I'm thinking, do they still try again after Matt Nagy to go for a more offensive-minded coach to maybe change the offense so Justin Fields could find success? Because I think he has a bunch of potential, but we just have to really see after uh, free agency, the draft, and going into next season. Yeah, so it's good. And, of course, you know, I think the big key is how long do you give Justin Fields to develop? I, I do think that we do see in a lot of cases young quarterbacks don't get enough time to. So hopefully he gets at least a couple more years to really uh, achieve a true potential because I, you see some sometimes when he has had uh, open pockets, he's done really well. But, again, you got to rebuild the offensive line. And uh, I, I do think they have some nice pieces around him. I like David Montgomery. I like Darnell Mooney. 
We'll see what they do with Allen Robinson. But um, I think your first couple of picks this year have to be offensive line to really help out Justin Fields a ton. All right. So, obviously, we're still waiting, I know, on, like, the Vikings to hire a coach. Um, I forget who else still has an opening. But the Vikings are still hiring. And there's been rumors about Jim Harbaugh, maybe, taking that job. Of course, that nothing official. Of course, that would be insane if he came back from college football to come back into the NFL. I think that would be an insane hire for them. But it's time to get to player of the week. I'll start with you, Leon. Who's your player of the week? I'm going to have to go with Cooper Cup, 11 catches, 142 yards, and two touchdowns. I think he's going to do great in the Super Bowl coming up in a couple weeks. And what a season he's had. So I'm looking forward to how him and Stafford are going to build on that connection and the big game this season. Connor, who is your player of the week? Um, I'm going to have to go with Jesse Bates. Uh, I mean, he was one of the absolute stars. With, within this, uh, you know, Bengals defense um, that that really helped them to overcome the Chiefs and stifle Patrick Mahomes in that explosive offense. And he's going to be a real key component in, you know, trying to stifle this explosive Rams offense, uh, especially within the pass game. Oscar, who is your player of the week? Uh, I got Joe Burrow. I think uh, he's he's shown us a lot of leadership. He showed the Bengals a lot of leadership in his second year in the league. Uh, he's got his boys as a wide receiver. He's got another rookie as a kicker. Um, he's kept his composure in a, in, in a lot of comeback games. Uh, hopefully he brings that and we'll see how he does in the Super Bowl. All right. And my player of the week is Matthew Stafford. Um, obviously 31 to 45, uh, 337 yards, two touchdowns, interception made the place we need to, to get the Rams to the Super Bowl. Um, it's destroyed all the narratives about him. He is truly an elite quarterback and potentially a hall of fame one. Like I think if he wins, especially if he wins this game next Sunday, I think he's going to the hall of fame. I think the stats back it up. And if he finally has the ring to do it, uh, I think that could get you into Canton. So I don't know how many rings. Uh, I mean, what's your thoughts on? Do you think if he wins Super Bowl next week, he's a Hall of Famer? Uh, Matt Stafford. Yeah. For, um. Stafford. Hmm. Yeah, probably. Honestly, uh, I mean, you, you know, the argument against Matt Stafford before he experienced all this success in LA in this season, um, a lot of people called him Pat Stafford, you know, because he had a lot. of great passing stats you know he'd, he'd throw a lot of touchdowns but his teams that would never win all that much and he never won in the playoffs before he went to the rams um so people would have probably just seen him as a stack compiler rather than a legitimately great quarterback which he is um of course going into this market and into this team that was built to win a super bowl um you know if he ends up winning that with the lofty goals that they had um yeah, I, I think he's a Hall of Famer if they win on, you know, in, in SoFi Stadium. Yeah, of course, in his career, he has 49,995 yards passing about to cross 50,323 touchdowns. So those are some pr- pretty amazing stats. Uh, 63% completion all time, a new one uh, rating. So I think the stats would support it and a Super Bowl win gets you over the top. 
I wonder how different his career would have been if he was with a winner the entire time. Like, imagine if he had not only Calvin Johnson, but an elite defense like he did with the Rams and maybe a couple yeah. of other targets at receiver, tight end. Yeah. Maybe. Well, one thing he always lacked was a running back. He always yeah. lacked a running back. Because they had guys like Kevin Smith, uh, Javid Best, also guys that uh, had some great performances, but they never had somebody who's uh, completely consistent. And maybe if – I mean, DeAndre Swift was a lot younger, but if DeAndre Swift was in the league then and they had some more parts, it would be great because DeAndre Swift, not only can he run the ball, he could also pass cat, catch passes out the backfield. So that's a shining star for Detroit moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll definitely talk way more about Matthew Stafford, Joe Burrow, and the rest of the Rams, Bengals, in our Super Bowl preview show next week. But I kind of want to close off the show with kind of asking a prediction question because we don't really have a game to predict. There's the Pro Bowl Sunday, but who cares? I mean, there's really nothing to talk about with the Pro Bowls in Las Vegas Sunday. If you really want to watch that, but no one's really going to go hard because no one wants to get hurt. Um, but tomorrow, there is an interesting announcement for Groundhog Day. The Washington football team will be no more. There will be a new name in Washington what are they going to be called? What's our predictions? All right. So I, I found out some stuff today. Uh, I think their former quarterback, Joe Theismann, or Beesman, uh stated that the new name would be the Washington Commanders. Um, and there was also a video on Twitter. Uh, I saw, I think, you know, s- someone caught uh, a commander's banner um, hanging um, behind one of the windows near FedEx Field, uh, near their um, – you know, merchandise store. So I, I think it's pretty safe to say that the, the new name of the Washington football team will be the Washington commanders. Uh, not, I don't think it's a great name personally, but you know, that, that's just my opinion. I think I saw it uh, leaked on Twitter. Like you said, Connor and uh, the logo also, I like the name and I'm also thinking about, what they're going to do at quarterback in the future. That's that's another thing that I'm thinking about, although we're only focused on the name right now. Taylor Heineke had seven wins this season, and I'm really wondering, do they try to keep him or do they try to go uh, for quarterback? Because he's had a great story so far in the league, and there are some games where he just plays well. He beat Brady in an upset, and then there are some, de- some games where he just struggles, so... That, that's another uh, big question in the offseason. A lot of analysts think Matt Corral from Ole Miss will be the next Washington football team quarterback, but uh, that's another thing that we're going to see because they're a team that's – they're really a 500 team, meaning that they're in the middle. They're in a similar boat as the Vikings. They have a solid defense. They have a wide receiver one, a solid running back who's going to continue to get better and better in Antonio Gibson, so – it's just uh, seeing how the cards will play out uh, for these next couple of seasons and wondering who's really going to be the quarterback. That's the big question I have. Yeah, um, I, I did hear a rumor that they were going to make a big swing at a quarterback this offseason. Um, obviously, they haven't really addressed that position in a way that I, I think was needed, probably since that Alex Smith trade um, and ever since he got injured. They, they haven't really addressed the quarterback position, you know. I, I mean, they did draft Dwayne Haskins, but, you know, obviously he was a bust. Um, so they, they haven't really 
addressed it properly, in my opinion. Um, I, I heard a rumor that they were going to trade for Mitchell Trubisky uh, from the Buffalo Bills, I think before the trade deadline, but obviously that didn't happen. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see, but I think that's probably number one on their priority list this off season because there's just been a big hole in that position for them for a while. Right. Uh, Oscar, do you have uh, any thoughts on this? On the, the uh, I haven't really been following the name, um, search and, and what the, what teams they've been considering. Um, I did read a while back that, uh, Due to trademark issues, that's kind of why they settled on Washington football team for this year, just because they couldn't figure out, um, like, the, the I guess the money side of trying to get a proper name and being able to bid on it and keep it. Um, but I'm a big baseball guy, so I kind of think because it's in D.C. or close to D.C., I think the Senators would be a pretty cool name, kind of like a throwback baseball team name. But, uh, yeah. W or something, right. something around that. Commander is good because the military, same thing. It's the capital of the country. Something along those lines, I think, would be pretty cool. Yeah, like honestly, I was wanting Red Tails because that would honor their Tuskegee Airmen. But Commanders, it it, it kind of gets a similar job done. Um, and of course, there was a story that just came out a little while ago saying that apparently a helicopter looked into the team headquarters and found a banner that says Washington Commander. So. Leave it up to the Washington football organization to not being able to keep any secrets because that, we know they uh, Dan Snyder is great at keeping secrets. Uh, secrets, but uh, yeah, it's going to be the Washington Commanders more than likely unless they decide to change it out of spite. But uh, at least we'll be able to call them something. I'm tired of calling them the football team. It's been fun, but um, I need a I need a team that uh, an actual name to call them, and I'll be glad to call them the Commanders. I guess can we call them the Comms? Because I know like. They like to call like the Washington Nationals the Nats, the Capitals, the Caps. They don't really have anything for the Wizards, I guess. But um, hey, at least they'll have a team. Uh, he'll be. It'll take a minute to get used to it, but I could get used to the Commanders versus. Hey, the Commanders versus the Cowboys. So that's a cool team name matchup right there. So. Commies anyway. for sure. <laughs> oh my God! Okay, we should probably wrap up the show. But uh, <laughs> anyway, so. Stay tuned because next week we are going to have a Super Bowl preview show. So we're not going to be in Los Angeles and Radio Rope because I, I can't afford that. I don't know if y'all can, but we're going to have our own virtual Radio row right here, breaking down all things Rams and Bengals. And uh, it's going to be a fun time because I'm excited for Super Bowl 56. I know all of you guys are. It's been an amazing season. And I'm excited to see who walks away with the Lombardi Trophy. For Oscar Arango, Connor Kennedy, and Leon Terrion, I'm Mithrasil. Thank you once again for watching the interview podcast. Stay tuned for episode 22. Take care.